0: I mean, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. You know, anything travels that far, to to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think?
1: It's time for Powell at the Park. one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs,
2: Sox, all your Chicago baseball news.
1: Dynamite drop-in
0: money. Here's your host,
1: Kevin Powell. Play ball!
2: This is episode number 16 of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, This is coming out a day late because of the holiday in the middle of the week, 4th of July. My current holiday power rankings, 4th of July near the top. Go toe-to-toe with Christmas and Thanksgiving, if you ask me. I just love the 4th of July. It's the pinnacle of summer. Brings me back to your youth when you go see fireworks, festivals, barbecues. It's a beautiful thing. By the way, uh, this 4th of July, I was on the golf course and uh, I fired my lowest score ever, 77. And I didn't have a single birdie. So, uh, you know, just no blow-up holes. I think I had one double bogey and then a handful of other bogeys, but pretty much par the rest of the way. I figure it would have been fitting if it was 76, 1776, but I'll settle with the 77. Out at the old beautiful Mount Prospect Golf Club. Um, actually, there you know I was going to say it's time to talk baseball, but actually I am going to touch on some golf stuff in a little bit in the rundown. I've got some ideas. There's some golf news involving a couple of uh, legendary golfers, so I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on that and maybe throw some ideas out there relating to that as well. On this week's episode, I talk with Gary Cohen. He's been on before. He knows the Cubs very well, like the back of his hand. Vine Line is the Cubs official magazine, so. They take uh, some in-depth dives into the organization, and uh, they cover the team. They're out there every day. at Phil Barnes and uh, Gary Cohn. Gary joined me to talk uh, all things Cubs. We talk a lot about Javi Baez, talk about the starting pitchers, struggling to get deep into games. And, uh, you know, I, I threw on Twitter about a week or so ago a potential Cubs-Sox trade involving James Shields, and I know it sounds crazy, and of course people went nuts on Twitter, and I'm not a hot take guy. I actually didn't even think it was all that crazy. I just think people think that they hear James Shields, and all of a sudden they just think of what James Shields was last year and the year before that when he was horrible. But he's a different player. He's a different different, um, different style of pitcher, and it's worked. And he's getting deep into games, so... It's not that crazy of an idea to think that the Cubs could go for a guy like Shields. It wouldn't cost much anyways. So um, it was just a thought. People get so angry on social media. Anyways, Gary joined me. He's always great to talk to. Knows the Cubs well. Um, I also wanted to have Nick Madrigal on, but he's busy playing baseball. So I'm trying to find a time to have him on the podcast soon. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but we did get a chance to do a, a media Press conference with him. So I'm going to play back a few cuts um, about what he said about his game, gave his own scouting report on himself, talked about his visit to Chicago a little bit. um, And then hopefully we'll have Magical on within the next couple weeks White Sox top draft pick. Um, Anyways, we'll start with the rundown. All right, on this week's edition of The Rundown. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson reportedly are working on a, a a deal to set up a $10 million winner take all death match between these two. And I love it. I mean, if they if they do this, it's going to be monstrous ratings. Monstrous ratings. Now, I've said Phil and Tiger aren't necessarily a rival a rivalry because I think rivalries are built on repetitive competition against Two two athletes or two teams like the Bears and Packers. Nobody's played each other more than the Bears and Packers. It's kind of tough in golf to create a rivalry organically because that what you would want was like Tiger Phil. In my dream world, it would be Tiger and Phil. Like U.S. Open Sunday, they're the final grouping. They're tied, and they go toe to toe eighteen. Now for that even happen once is is extremely difficult. If you want to create a rivalry and have that happen multiple times, I mean that's it's almost impossible in golf. It just doesn't work that way. So I guess in golf standards it considered I guess it can be considered a little bit of a rivalry, like frenemies kind of, and they've had some playful jabs over the past few weeks and now we know why. You know, Phil the marketer he is. Um you know, I, th- I think it was last year, two years ago, f- in a press conference, Phil was raving about five guys' burgers. <laughs> and then news came out like a, a week later that Phil had just made a, a, a hefty investment into the burger chain. So he knows what he's doing. But, you know, they played a practice run together at Augusta. And, I don't know, anyways, I I've, you know, $10 million, $10 million, these guys got enough money to live, you know, for 100 lifetimes. Ten million dollars is still something. That's 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 some change for these guys. You know, the FedEx Cup is what uh, like the season long point total that the PGA tour does. The FedEx Cup, if you win it, you get a ten million dollar bonus. And some players have come out and said blatantly, yeah, that matters. That's huge. Ten million dollar payout. So, anyways, I love it. I hope it happens, I think it's gonna happen. But it made me think like, could this be implemented in other sports? I remember watching on ESPN Classic the old uh, uh, home run derby that they used to have at Wrigley. I think it was like in the 60s, 1960 or something. It was like Mickey Mantle versus Willie Mays. And there was nobody even in the park. It was just those two guys, some cameramen, and they would, you know, have a home run derby one-on-one. Like how cool would that be if 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 Major League Baseball, I guess they have the home run derby, and it's, it sort of is a little bit more head-to-head competition now. But if they did sort of these, you know, I realize these one-on-one things can be a little bit gimmicky, maybe a little bit cheap, but, you know, if if TV wants to figure out how to continue to get live audiences to actually watch live, I mean, how cool would it be if you had two of the best basketball players in the world go one-on-one for $10 million in a slam dunk contest? Everyone would watch. I don't know how it would be football. i got to figure that one out. But I'm sure you could figure something out. But these one-on-one things are kind of cool. And Tiger Phil, like those are the biggest names in golf. So I think if you wanted to get those sorts of ratings, um, you know, you you need some big names like LeBron James against, you know, I don't know somebody else, another huge name. So it just it just got me thinking. I'm like, it'd be cool if they if this kind of happens and sparks some more one-on-one special programming, special competition type things. You know, the thing with Phil and Tiger, too, that's going to be a three- or four-hour broadcast playing 18. I don't know how long a slam dunk contest would, would last, but um, I realize this is a baseball podcast, but I got so damn excited this morning when I read this story about Tiger and Phil going head-to-head head, that I said, I'm dedicating some part of the podcast today to Phil and Tiger talk. And then bring back the one-on-one home run derby, like in the off season. Have Aaron Judge and Stanton go head-to-head. J.D. Martinez against Giancarlo Stanton one-on-one. That'd be cool. I'd watch. And then throw in a huge chunk of change. $5 million to the winner. Something like that. I think people would watch. Anyways, pumped about Tiger and Phil playing each other for $10 bucks. That's this week's rundown. All right, first guest on the podcast this week, well, really the only guest on the podcast this week, is Gary Cohen, editor of Line, the Cubs' official magazine. Always love talking to Gary. We talk about a wide variety of topics involving the Cubs. Take a listen. Gary Cohen, appreciate you hopping on the podcast. I think this is the second time I've had you. Is that accurate? It is
1: accurate. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Apparently, I wasn't too terrible the first time.
2: You were wonderful. I believe we were sitting at Wrigley, and we did it live from the park.
1: We did. We, did. we were actually in the... Uh, the 1914 club seat yes
2: the seats Very that nobody can afford and we went and sat in them before um, before the game we snuck down there sat down comfortable and checked it out it was a good times it was a beautiful day at Wrigley from what I remember.
1: It was. I'm not out of the park today, but the last few times I've been to the park, it's been about 110 degrees. So, yeah, I remember that one fondly.
2: Yeah, I know the listeners probably don't care, and much of this was talked about on on Twitter during that last heat wave a week ago, but the Wrigley press box does not have air conditioning, in case anybody didn't know that. It uh, essentially turns into an oven during the summer.
1: No, you put about... Uh a hundred people up in that tiny little space, and yeah, it's an <laughs> oven, and, and honestly, it doesn't smell all that good.
2: No, it doesn't. Wrigley, uh, you know, that weekend I said, it, Wrigley smells about exactly as how do you expect it to smell when it's 100 degrees and there's 40,000 people packed into a ballpark, and they're eating hot dogs and drinking beer. It was not the best-smelling place in the world, that's for sure. <laughs> No, no, I definitely was not. But worse places to be, though, than Wrigley Field, a beautiful Wrigley Field. Okay. Um, Let's we'll talk about a wide variety of topics here. I want to start with Javi Baez because he continues to amaze. You know, somebody asked me this the other day Is Has there been a player in recent memory that you can think of where everybody's talking about what he did the following morning? You know, and I, I thought, well, maybe Devin Hester's kind of like that. You, it, one of these players you just can't take your eyes off because you don't want to miss what they're going to do next.
1: Right. I mean, the closest comp, I've, I've had that same thought before, and about the closest comp I've ever been able to come up with is going to another sport, too. It's basketball. You know, you have these sort of transcendent basketball players like the Michael Jordans and LeBron Jameses are going back, you know, Magic Johnson or Dr. J, where, like, you you have to see the move that they did. And can you believe that dunk that he had over... You don't get it that much in baseball. And I'm not comparing Javi to those guys, because Javi is certainly not the Michael Jordan of baseball. But the things that he can do on the field are are just incredible. It's it's a combination of talent, and he just sees the game in a different way than other people do. You know, in the way that that Magic Johnson did or Michael Jordan did, they just see things that other people don't see. And then just the, the natural athleticism and body control that he has, you know, like the swim moves that he does constantly on stolen bases or, or you know, mm. when he's regularly stealing home like all major league <laughs> players do. Um, I, you could give me, you could take 20 years off my life and give me a month to try to do that, and I can't do it. Yeah. It's, it's something that is just natural in him. He's got that athleticism and that vision that, you really don't see that often in baseball. There are better players in baseball. You know, Mike mm-hmm. Trout is a better overall player than Javi Baez. But you don't see guys that can do the spectacular things that Javi can do.
2: Yeah, that's a good comp you made towards basketball and the NBA. I think of, among all the leagues, and it's not necessarily because other leagues are holding players back in this regard, but it's just basketball. Basketball has always sort of just been known for, you know, players – implement their own style and flair to a game. It's just part of basketball. I, and they, I think they have a little more freedom because of the way the game's actually played. In baseball, it's a little tougher to bring your personality out on the diamond for a lot of reasons. Of course there's those old school baseball people out there who don't want to necessarily see a whole lot of that. But also just because of the way the game of baseball is played. It's not like you can be showboating out there. You have to be dialed in for every single pitch and you gotta have, you know, stick to a, a certain routine and game plan. It's just a different sport and by some how finds a way every game to put his fingerprints all over it? Because after every game, there's always, you know, we ask Joe kind of the same question. Joe, I, I know we've asked you this a hundred times, but how about what Javi did in the third inning, or how about what Javi did in the fifth inning? It's just a never-ending stream of of amazing from Baez.
1: Well, and it's it's really remarkable. If you go to, you know, Joe Madden, I'm not sure if the listeners know this. You know, he does two pressers every day. He does mm-hmm. a press conference before the game with the media, and then he does a post-game. I would say in that pregame press conference, which is a little bit more freewheeling, a lot a wider range of questions get asked. You know, before the trade deadline stuff started coming up a week or so ago, I would say we've probably spent, as a group, 40% of our time with Madden talking about Hobby Bias so far this year <laughs> and the things that he does. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It, and like you said, a lot of times it's the same questions, it's the same line of questioning, but he just keeps doing incredible things. I, I can't remember a baseball player. You know, I've been watching baseball pretty closely for 30 some odd years now. And I can't remember a baseball player who's been more exciting to watch on a day-to-day basis than he is.
2: It's pretty incredible. Um, I was gonna say, what's a negative we can bring up about Baez? But let's just keep it on the positive note. I think I think everybody's just loving some Baez right now. So, um, well, I
1: mean, you know, you could you could find a negative. I mean, he's still working on controlling the strike zone. Mm-hmm. He still will go into stretches where swinging out of the outside, zone. Yeah, well, that that outside slider is yep. kryptonite. But this year, he's locking in more. Those stretches are getting shorter and shorter. He's having fewer of those at-bats where, you know, he comes up with two guys on and the game on the line, and he's just digging a hole in the box with how hard he's swinging. It, it, that's happening less and less this year. So, yeah, he's still got things to improve. But that's the other thing that amazes me about Javi Baez is, for as flashy as he is, He is getting better every year. You see him do little things to improve and solidify his game every year, and he hasn't lost the fun.
2: Completely agree. Let's flip over to pitching for a minute here. The starting pitchers have just really had a tough time going deep into games this year, and it's really, you know, the bullpen has has saved them on multiple occasions. You look what Mike Montgomery has been able to do, being the swingman filling in for Darvish. In some ways you can make a case he's sort of been this the MVP of the team at least on the pitching side of things. Of course Lester's been great as well, but um you know, what do you make of the starters with with command issues or high pitch counts and why do you think it is that a lot of these guys and even Hendricks has had some struggles this year? Why do you think they're having such difficulty going deep in games?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I mean, I think there are John Lester Is actually having a much better season than I expected he was going to have. You know, it's having a great year. You typically get a big free agent starter, a veteran free agent starter on a long term contract, and you go, all right, six year contract. You figure the first three, if you get good performance and production out of the first three years of that contract, then it's a win. And Lester did that. The Cubs won a World Series. You know, he was second in the Cy Young voting. You know, he he performed, overperformed the first half of the contract. And I kind of thought, Now the last three years, if he's not great, he's not great. If he he reverts to a middle-of-the-rotation starter, the Cubs can survive. And he's been outstanding this year. I mean, people are hitting him harder, but he seems to be pitching the contact a little bit more, and and he's the type of guy, I think, that can learn and adjust as his stuff decreases a little bit, which he's already done. So he's doing better than I thought. The two guys who I think everybody just assumed – well, these guys are going to be rocks. I mean, you can just pencil them in for the same performance every year, are Quintana and Hendricks. And those guys have both been a little shaky this year. Mm. Uh, Hendricks, when he gets out of sorts, as he is now, it's usually something in his mechanics, something in his delivery that's a little bit off, and he's always had the ability to figure that out. You know, his, the trick with him this year is when he gets hit, it generally goes over the fence. And, mm. and that's, that's a problem for a pitcher. Um, and then he'll lock in for a few innings, but when he misses, because he's not throwing, you know, ninety-eight mile an hour right. gas like a lot of the guys out it's a there, smaller
2: margin for error for sure.
1: Right, exactly. If he, he can't get away with leaving one out over right. the zone, or you know, leaving leaving one in somebody's happy spot, Quintana is harder for me to put my finger on. He's because he's been at times dominant, and then it, and then like a, a switch, it goes off and he gets hit. You know, he'll pitch. Four or five innings where he looks like he's just going to cruise, and then suddenly he hits, say, the fifth inning, and the wheels fall off. So that's happened a little too often to him. But they need those two guys to get back to who they are. And they've been really consistent major league pitchers over their careers. There's really no reason to think that they won't figure it out as the year goes on, but that's going to be really important to the Cubs. Um, and then, obviously, you know the, the Darvish issue is you got to get Darvish healthy. You've got to get him on the mound. He's, he's just been a non-factor for the Cubs. Even when he's pitched, he hasn't been that great, but he just hasn't pitched enough to get any sense of who he is. So mm. he needs to stay on the mound. And then Chatwood has his issues with, with the strike zone. So even if he's been effective, he's just throwing way too many pitches. Now, you can have one of those guys in your rotation – you can't have three or four of those guys, which is a problem the Cubs have had. So, you know, there, there are definitely some things that they have to figure out. Heading into the trade deadline here, I wasn't at the parks. I'm getting this off of the other beat writers' Twitter accounts mainly. But Theo talked to the ballpark today and was talking about, um, you know, the pitching and how the Cubs have a tendency to kind of set the market. They jump the market in early July and make some big moves. He seemed to say today that that was unlikely this year because they're just waiting to see how some things are going to shake out on the pitching staff. The Darvish get back on the mound? Chatwood figure out his control issues. The Hendricks and Quintana settle in. Um, Yeah, it's been a problem. And like you said, the bullpen has been fantastic so far. But you, you just can't eat up the bullpen and have them throw this many innings early in the season and then expect them to be fresh into October. So, yeah, it's going to be very important that the starters start going a little bit deeper into games than they have been.
2: Well, starter who's currently in the American League that goes deep in just about every game is James Shields and I'm not a hot take guy, Gary, but I posted this on Twitter a week or so ago and of course people went nuts on me but I actually <laughs> think it, it, it could be considered a legit trade. I think that actually could help the Cubs because one, I don't think he's going to cost that much if they wanted James Shields. He's going to eat innings. You're talking about every five days. He's probably going to go, in 13 of his last 14 starts, he's gone at least six innings. He's going deep into just about every single game. He's a veteran. Madden knows him. Maybe you throw in uh, Soria as a as a sweet in the pot a little bit to help out the bullpen. I actually think, I don't think it's going to happen. I'd just be stunned if the Cubs and Sox made trades two years in a row. But James Shields does kind of make sense for the Cubs right now.
1: He, he does. I, I saw your tweet of that a little while ago, and, and it got me thinking about him a little bit. I am with you. I'd be surprised.
2: I don't think happened. people are realize, <clears throat> excuse me. How well James Shields has pitched this year. I think people just immediately think James Shields and they think of last year and the year before that when he was just getting rocked by just about yeah. everybody. He's healthy now, he's reinvented himself. He's a pretty good pitcher right now.
1: Yeah, and he's and like you said, you, you can't discount the fact that he's got a history with Joe from back in the in the Tampa Bay days and he's got a lot of postseason experience. <clears throat> so you could do worse. I think the you know, Cubs going to the trade deadline like every contending team. Their their first look is probably going to be toward the bullpen, yep. getting one or two more arms in there, just because they've had some injuries, and you just need to have that depth in there. And honestly, because their bullpen is pitched a lot, you might need some fresh arms going down the stretch. So I think they'll look at that first. Whether they'll look at a starter, it's it's hard to look at that rotation and see room for a starter, especially because every one of the Cubs starters right now is into a multi year contract. You know, and you add so. Assuming Darvish gets healthy, between Lester, Quintana, Hendricks, Darvish, Chatwood, and Montgomery, you've already got six guys who are pretty effective in that role.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But <laughs> every team needs pitching, and they have had some starters that have underperformed. Right. I would say stranger things have happened, and and the other thing that you you can't discount is. The Cubs window is wide open right now, and you never know how long that window is going to last. Now, given the young players the Cubs have under control, it looks like the Cubs will probably be contenders for a few years now. But mm-hmm. you've been able to say that about a lot of teams over the years, that suddenly they're no, they're no longer... Look
2: at the, at the Mets. So injuries exactly. have decimated that franchise, and now there's talk of maybe even trading Cindergard Harvey's off the team. I mean, that's how quickly it can change, mostly because of injuries.
1: Right, and that was 2015. That wasn't that long ago that they were beating the Cubs in the NLCS and looked like they were going to be the class of the National League East for years. So you never know. The Cubs' window is wide open this year. I think they are a better and deeper team than they were last season. Uh, Some things are starting to gel a little bit in the offense. Uh, A couple of guys have taken big steps forward. You know, Zobrist looks rejuvenated. Hayward looks like the player that St. Louis had a couple of years ago. Um, Schwarber is, is hitting better and not having those struggles he had last year. There's so much going right that the Cubs are not going to go through this trade deadline lightly and just go, eh, you know, we'll take our chances. They're going to do whatever they can to solidify the team. They don't need, have a ton of needs this year. It's a pretty stock team, but I don't think you can discount anything. So I'd be shocked if they get James Shields. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's crazy talk. And I imagine you got a few responses on yeah. Twitter telling you you were just absolutely insane for even considering Oh
2: yeah, of course I was. And I really was I I hate the whole hot take system that the sports media has kind of turned into It really wasn't. I actually think that deal would make a lot of sense for the Cubs I don't think he would cost that much. But even if it's not James Shields and the Cubs do want to add a starter, that model that sort of style of pitcher is what they need. A guy who can just throw some strikes and get deep into a game. Whether it's James Shields or some other veteran, that's what they need right now. And like you said, I don't know if there 's necessarily room if you do go for a starter you know Mike Montgomery has a ton of value in the bullpen as well and, and he could spot start yeah. for you so that kind of gives Joel uh, some more options down the stretch here as well You mentioned Jason Hayward uh, briefly he 's batting three hundred forty six over his last thirty one games um, that 's the second best batting average in the National League in that span just behind Paul Goldschmidt. I think you got to appreciate what Jason Hayward's done this year. I mean, the struggles he had in the first two years of that deal, and Gary, I've said this a thousand times, he's always been a treat to work with and talk to in the media, even after a bad day, even when he was getting booed by Cub fans. He always talked to us in the Cubs clubhouse, whether it was after a win or a loss, and I see him out there before games at Wrigley hitting balls off tees. He's uh, constantly working on his game, and it's paid off this year for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll full disclosure, he's one of my favorites. I've always really liked Jason Hayward. I grew up a Braves fan, so I watched him come up. And then having now having covered him, like you said, he's such a professional. I mean, mm-hmm. he, when he was struggling, he was always accountable. He was always up front. He did not make excuses. He understood when the Cubs, you know, in postseason series, had him on the bench in games where, you know, your $184 million player should be out front. And he understood all that. He didn't complain. He made a big impact in the World Series because he never hung his head, even though he was struggling. And now this year, it does seem to be coming back to him. He's gotten rid of a little bit of that movement in his swing, you know. According to him and Joe Madden, his hands are working a lot better this year, so he feels like you know he can he can cover the outside of the plate well, but he can also get to that inside fastball. The last couple of years, if you could throw 95 and get it on his hands, he pretty much couldn't do anything with it. And this year, he he can, and he's also opened up the whole field. You know, one of one of Madden's favorite things to say, at least this year, has been, you know, if you want to talk batting average, you get, you got to hit to the bigger part of the field. You've got to use the opposite field. And I mean, Jason Hayward was over the last two seasons has been a four three out second to first. 70% of his at-bat. Yep. I mean, he was just rolling over everything. And this year, he's opened it up, and he's using the opposite field. He's hitting the ball hard to the opposite field. And it's just changed everything for him. So uh, it's great to see him coming back around because the beauty of Hayward was, even when he wasn't hitting, he provided value to the team because he's such an outstanding defensive player. He's a good clubhouse guy. But, you know, you got a $184 million guy on your payroll. You'd like him to hit more than 240. Right. So this year, it's great to see him come through. I don't know. There are articles written about it that people probably know. But I wonder if people know how hard he has worked over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of players who, veteran players with big contracts, who struggle and things aren't going their way. And they're just not going to change. They're not going to put the work in. And you see their careers go off the rails. And that could have easily happened to Hayward. But this guy worked like crazy to reinvent himself. The guy with the big contract who's won, who's gone to the playoffs most years in his career. And I mean, every year, the, the, the season would end, he'd take a couple weeks off and he'd get out to Arizona and try to rebuild his swing. Yeah. So he's worked as hard as I think anybody at trying to, to get back to the kind of player he thought and knew that he could be. And it's good to see him having this success. I, I'm curious to see where the numbers are at the end of the year, but I feel like he's had enough success and it's lasted long enough now that he should have the ability to carry this through to the end of the season. And obviously, it would be huge for the Cubs. And he's been so good in that number two spot for, yeah. for Madden. Ever since Madden moved him to the two spot in the lineup, it's really been kind of a different order because he's getting on base. He's always gotten on base at a pretty good average, but now is you know he's, he's hitting about 40 points better, which means he's getting on base about 40 points better. He can run. You know, he's just—he's been a really, really professional at bat and a hard out this year, which you haven't been able to say for the last couple of seasons.
2: Yeah, and he's been clutch. He ranks second in the NL with a three sixty-five batting average with two outs, so he's coming up big form as well. The Cubs' offense, by the way, top team OPS in the National League, top on base percentage in all of baseball, the highest team batting average in all of baseball, uh, second most walks taken in all of baseball. So there's a lot of really good things. Uh, happening with the Cubs this year. I guess it's just been these stretches where they drop five or six, and then they bounce back with six or seven wins. So I don't have many concerns. Right. I do think they're going to catch the Brewers, and I do think they're going to win the division, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if they're back in the NLCS for, oh, would that be a fourth straight year?
1: Fourth straight uh, year. And I, think, <laughs> I think it's pretty unquestionable that the Cubs are the most talented team in the National League. Yeah. They haven't been the best. Now, mind you, they are the second-best team. They're a game and a half behind Milwaukee. But I think they are on paper, and right now the way they're playing – the best team in the national league. I expect them to come through. I don't know if you know the the team that has led the league in on base percentage has gone to the playoffs I think in thirteen straight years now and the Cubs are leading in on base percentage. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're they're trying to remake their lineup and this is partly Chili Davis, but I think it's coming from the top to where they they've been a really big like most teams in baseball, a big swing and miss, big home run team. And I think they're trying now to be more of a contact-move-the-ball sort of team. And obviously, they've got guys who have power, so they don't need to work that hard on that. But trying to be a little bit more of a small-ball team. And if they can make that happen, this offense will, will be really, really hard to stop. And you've seen it in the last couple of weeks where they're moving the ball a little bit better. They're still struggling with two outs and a runner on third or runners in scoring position. But they're getting better and better in those situations. If they can keep that going... This offense could be really, really fun to watch as the year goes on.
2: He's Gary Cohen, editor of Cubs Vineline, the official magazine of the Cubs. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cohen VL. Follow Vineline at Cubs Vineline as well. Sixty second pitch, Gary. Tell me uh tell everyone why they should uh, subscribe and uh read Vineline magazine.
1: Oh yeah. You you should we just should. You should do it for me because you love me. It's good for no, your health. Vineline, yes. We we cover uh we cover everything in the Cubs. So, we, you know, we cover the minor league system. We cover the alumni. We've got a nice interview in this newest issue we're working on with Derek Lee about his time here. Um, but we're also covering the team. Like, this the July issue that's out right now, we've got Albert Almora on the covers. So we have a deep dive feature about Almora and, and the kind of player he's become. And he's had some really, he had some really interesting things to say because the, the organization has basically said what Almora needs to do is work on hitting a certain kind of right-hander and I went and asked Almora about that, and he was—he didn't quite agree with the organizational assessment. We'll put it that way. So, interesting. We, we try to really get in depth with these guys. We try to, to, you know, give it a little bit more room to breathe, talk to more people. Like we have a, a feature coming out in the August issue, which we're working on right now, about the Cubs' top draft pick, Nico Horner. Uh, the um, our other editor, Phil Barnes, worked on that. He talked to Horner's high school coach, his college coach, the scout that uh, that is credited for finding him. So, we, you know, we try to go a little bit deeper on these guys. I think it's uh, if you're a Cubs fan and want to know about the entire organization from top to bottom, uh, we try to give you as in-depth coverage as you can possibly get.
2: Must read stuff. Gary, you're the best. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. I'm sure I'll see you at the ballpark soon.
1: We will be back in the stinky press box before you know it.
2: <laughs> I can't wait. Thank it's you, Gary. Nice, appreciate it, Ben. Thank you to Gary. Gary's a great guy, and I really appreciate him jumping on the podcast. I'm sure I'll have him on somewhere down the road as well all right I, I, as i said earlier i wanted to have magical on couldn't make it happen busy guy playing baseball laser show uh Sox fans are excited about him top overall draft pick you're nothing but rave reviews about this guy and nothing but rave reviews about this guy i think the question marks for me is like okay one what sort of player is he going to be and two where is he going to play the second baseman you all want kind as a centerpiece of the rebuild you can always find room for talent. I mean, look at the Cubs, right? I mean, they have an abundance of talent, and that allows them the luxury of playing matchups. So I'm not really concerned about that. I'm just curious. Are, is, are they going to give him a shot at shortstop and move Tim Anderson to center? So uh, that, I guess those are my only question marks. I mean, these are these are not really bad. Thi- it's just just curious to see where he's going to end up in his career. I mean, he obviously looks like a second baseman. He's 5'6". Like Dustin Pedroia or Altuve... Um, but anyways, we had a chance to talk to him on the, uh, on the, <laughs> I'm laughing because, uh, we, we did a, a, a phoner where everybody dials into this conference call. You punch in a passcode and then it, it forwards you into the, 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 the conversation. And Nick Magical's on the phone and there's like a 20 reporters all on the line trying to ask questions <laughs> And in the, in the middle of it. All of a sudden it sounded like Spanish TV was in the background. Like, someone had turned on a TV, forgot to mute their phone, so that was coming through the phone, and then George Offman from BBM jumped in, he's like, excuse me, can somebody... You know, he starts yelling, and I was just laughing my ass off the whole time. But anyways, we had to stop, and Madrigal had to repeat himself a couple times because somebody had Spanish TV going. Anyways, uh, one of the questions that uh, was presented to Madrigal was uh, if... if uh, a team was getting ready to pitch to him, what would the scouting report be on Nick Madrigal?
0: You know, I've seen a combination of different, you know, scouting reports and different, you know, every single team has a, you know, different way of approaching it. Um, You know, I'm not too sure you'd have to ask someone that, you know, played against me or, you know, has different notes or something like that. Um, You know, no matter what, you know, going into a game or going into a series, um, it really doesn't matter to me what the report is. You know, it's hard to execute pitches, um, you know, in baseball, especially at the college level, at the professional level. Uh, You know, sometimes the pitchers are going to miss their spot, and uh, I just try to be ready for anything when I go out there. Um, I really don't think too much of you know, what the report is or anything like that.
2: So that's a little scouting report from Magical. He also talked about uh, his visit to Chicago.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that, you know, being a home for me and somewhere I want to win for and, you know, hopefully bring, you know, a parade back to that city one day. Um, But, yeah, you know, I'm very excited to be a part of the organization and, uh, you know, just can't wait to get going.
2: And then, of course, there's some question marks. Does this guy have power? Uh, I've talked to some current players, and they said, yeah, I don't know if he's just going to be a power guy, which that's okay. I mean he can get on base a bunch and hit over 300 driving some runs but he, you know he says that's his his job is to get on base but he he did address uh, talk about power in his game.
0: I, I was just saying uh you know I feel confident you know moving forward that you know power will be part of my game um you know but I do understand that you know other guys are going to hit for more power than I do and you know that that's mostly their game um You know, I I think that's going to be part of my game. You know, I'm going to work real hard in the offseason, you know, to lift a little bit heavier and do that. And, you know, I do believe that's going to come. But, um, you know, my job is to get on base and uh, for those power guys to, you know, hit the home runs and hit the two run, three run home runs. Uh, But, you know, I'm just going to focus on my game and. You know, play play the same way, but I do think that would come kind of my son play.
2: So that's just a little recap of what we learned from Nick Magical who's going to begin his um, White Sox his big league career in Class A Kannapolis. So we'll be keeping a close eye on Magical over the next couple months here, and uh, hopefully, I'll have him on the podcast soon. <laughs> That was this week's podcast, Powell at the Park podcast, episode number 16. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. You can also listen on Google Play, wgnradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at KPowell720. Episode 17 will be next week. Hope you can tune in then. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.